Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. I was uh, recently with a friend, um, somebody who I support in their practice and um, really a dedicated practitioner and a lovely human being uh, who has taken a program in uh, chaplaincy and supporting people uh, in their most difficult moments, going into hospitals and uh, and being with them sometimes as they're close to uh, close to the end of their life. And they really wanted to take this program and um, and offer that as a way to share out of gratitude for their practice. Um, but this friend uh, said to me how they are, they've become more and more aware that there's some other motivations in being a chaplain, in doing these good deeds and being there for people. They could see a bit of Mm. ego satisfaction oh i'm a good person and maybe people will appreciate me and and like me and um and as they were exploring this they were so um horrified by what they saw that they said i can't do this i'm i'm just a a phony I'm just doing this, you know, for the ego, and um, I really don't. Um, it, it's not for me. I can see what a what a what a fraud I am with a hidden agenda and all. And this is somebody. When I said, "Oh, um, what do you uh, when you see a friend who's who's uh, having a difficulty? What do you do?" and they said, "Oh well, I, I want to, I want to be there for them, and I want to just uh, let them know that they're really okay." And um, and I say, "Why do you want to do that?" And she's and they said, "Well, because I care about them." You know, I said, "Oh, well, are you doing it for the kudos, for the applause?" And they thought, and they said, "Well, no." I said, "Well." where does that come from? Where does that that mm, wholesome impulse come from? And they they said, well, um, I don't know. I just kind of, I just guess I care. I said, yeah, well, that's the same impulse that was there when you signed up for the chaplaincy program. And I just want to invite you to open to the possibility that it's not 100% one way or the other, and that wanting and enjoying and um, delighting in appreciation of others is quite a natural thing to do. And that until you're fully enlightened, 
yeah, you're going to probably like some appreciation and thank you and acknowledgement or feel that you're doing something good and uh, that you feel proud about. I said, even people who teach the Dharma, you know, there's, there's often when you're, when you're giving the talk, you might be in the flow, but before, oh, I wonder how this will be received. Or afterwards, oh, I wonder how that landed. Um, and I, I said to them, hey, it took me about 10 years. I've been teaching for a long time. It took me about 10 years to feel okay, to not apologize for being in the Dharma seat because I didn't know if I was doing justice to the Dharma before I finally said, oh, okay, this is what I do. Sometimes I like to uh, to know that I did a good job. Uh, mostly I come from a good place, but I can see there's, there's some ego in there. And I was reminded of Ajahn Chah saying to, um, to some of his, his monks that, you know, you really have a good practice when you can give a Dharma talk that completely bombs and you just say, oh, well, I did the best I could and not be bothered by it. You've really arrived. That's when you've got good practice. So I wanted to, to talk tonight about a related subject on this. And th this is the whole idea of what it means to take refuge in the Buddha. And in particular, to take refuge in the Buddha that's right inside of you. You all are probably quite familiar with taking refuge. I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha, the triple gem. And that's the, the, the first place of inspiration that we, we hear when we uh, are undertaking these, these teachings. And this taking refuge in the Buddha often is thought of as taking refuge in that historical figure that lived 2,500, 2,600 years ago, who was definitely incredibly inspiring and deep and um, uh, awake, who shared the teachings that we're all so fortunate to uh, to be practicing and receiving. But that's, that's one dimension of taking refuge in the Buddha. Taking refuge in the Buddha, the deeper meaning of taking refuge in the Buddha is taking refuge in the Buddha that is right inside of you. to really take refuge and to see that you have that same capacity for awakening that Siddhartha Gautama Buddha had. And that's why he, he taught. As one of my teachers, Manindraji, used to say, uh, the Buddha solved his problem. You have to solve yours. That's why he that's why he taught. Uh, 
and perhaps you know that that story at first he wasn't going to teach he thought oh what if people don't understand and then he took a look and he saw oh so many people with but a little dust covering their eyes and they could understand and see what i see and that's what moved him to teach not to get kudos not to get accolades but out of compassion because we all have that capacity but we can get caught in thinking that the buddha is outside of ourselves and there's a story that uh, i love about this where the buddha the buddha says uh, there was one disciple who was a kind of in modern parlance he was a, a groupie and he would he had fallen in love with the buddha you know, and he would sit right in front and just the buddha would give a talk and he'd gaze at the buddha and just be completely entranced by his aura by his vibe besides his words and just sit up and uh, gaze at him lovingly okay you probably know what that's like maybe you have a favorite singer or athlete or or movie star or something and it's like oh you know especially when you're a teenager and have a a crush oh that's what groupies are all about we all probably have a a little groupie in in us anyway this guy whose name was vakali um did this for some time until at one point the buddha had enough and he actually as this story goes um told vakali to leave the order and he he had to go vakali protested no you can't please can't kick me out he said yes you have to leave and as this story goes vakali who was so bereft at rejection from his love object that he was um he decided to take his life and the way this anecdote goes he was about to throw himself over a cliff now you can take this on whatever level you want i'm just sharing you this story for the teaching point and just before he was about to uh, take his life the buddha with psychic powers again you can believe on whatever level you want the buddha appears to vakali and he says vakali don't do this i want you to understand something and he says you can look at this form for 100 years and still not see the buddha one who really sees the dharma who understands the dharma sees the buddha so instead of looking at me 
look inside and see what I'm trying to communicate to you. Vakali did come back and as all good stories go, uh, eventually became enlightened, fully enlightened being. But not to look outside was the point. And in Zen, maybe you've heard, a, a, there's a famous line that says, if you see the Buddha, if you see the Buddha on the road, kill him. Zen, Zen stories and teachings are, have a fierce samurai kind of a quality. If you see the Buddha on the road, kill him, which is saying, if you think the Buddha is outside of yourself, you're missing it. Don't get caught in objectifying outside. And there's a number of stories around this. Uh, another one that from Ajahn Chah, contemporary uh, story about this, was with uh, Jack Cornfield and Ajahn Chah. At one point when Jack was a monk, and he was um, uh, practicing diligently and really wanting to pay attention to all the uh, the precepts and all. And, um, and Ajahn Chah didn't look like such an impeccable teacher. And he'd be, although Ajahn Chah had very, very good discipline, but he, he'd say one thing to one person, he'd say another thing to another, and he had a, a real lightness about him. Uh, I was fortunate enough to, to be with Ajahn Chah in Thailand, and he had a, a great laugh, and he was just kind of easy and light, along with being really impeccable. Anyway, Jack was sizing him up for a while and he finally went up to him and he said bante um, i have something i'm confused about and i want to i want to speak with you about it he says you know you you tell one thing to one person another to another person and you seem to contradict yourself and sometimes it looks like you're you're not particularly enlightened or evolved. Can you imagine that? That's there's the Pali word chutzpah. Uh, well, it's not exactly Pali. Pali, it's nerve. He's saying, Bante, you don't even look like you're so enlightened. You know, I don't know if I if this is the right if I'm in the right place. And Ajahn Chah says to him. It's a good thing that I don't fit your image of what an enlightened being is. Otherwise, you'd be thinking that the Buddha is outside of yourself. Look within. So this is what we're asked to do. And I wanted to share a few teachings and hopefully a bit of a practice for you to see the Buddha right inside of you. <clears throat> That's what all of these teachings are pointing to. Yes, when you start to practice, 
you see all your neurotic thought patterns and all your judgments and all the ways that you fall short of your idealized perfection. That's part of the deal. If you didn't see that, then you'd be living in denial and kind of blind. But if you're going to take an honest look inside at the whole package, it means you're going to see places that you're not particularly enthralled by. And that's the practice to see them without identifying with them, to see the humanness that you are and to learn to love the whole package. That's what we're talking about. <clears throat> this is, uh, oh, let's see this. Here's a quote I love from Nyosho Kempo, who's a, a great Tibetan master. He says, Buddha nature, the essence of awakened enlightenment itself is present in everyone. Its essence is forever pure and flawless. Those who recognize their true nature are enlightened. Those who ignore it or overlook it are deluded. There is no way to enlightenment other than by recognizing this Buddha nature, this true nature, and authentically identifying it within one's own stream of being. That's what this game is about. I authentically identifying within your own stream of being the Buddha inside, or one could say the, the kingdom of heaven inside, or the Christ within, whatever your name you call it, the divine within. Ajahn Sumedho uh, talks about the shining through of the divine. This is what the Buddha is talking about, to see beyond all of the flaws, to see that um, bodhicitta, it's called the, the seed of awakening that is right inside of you. This is another teaching from Huang Po. He says, great Zen, Zen master, your true nature is something never lost to you, even in moments of delusion. Nor is it gained at the moment of enlightenment. This pure mind shines forever and on all with the brilliance of its own perfection. <clears throat> and here is from the Buddha himself, who says, Luminous is this mind, your mind, brightly shining, but it is colored by attachments that visit. This, the unlearned people do not really understand, and so 
do not cultivate this mind. Luminous is this mind, brightly shining, and it is free of the attachments that visit it. This, the noble follower of the way, really understands. So for them, there is cultivation of mind. And when he says of mind, of heart, of consciousness, of seeing who you really are. And I wanted to share with you uh, one of my favorite anecdotes. I might have shared this in recent times. If I have, then pardon the redundancy, but um, I'm, I don't know if I have, I don't think I have. Anyway, it's called The Woman at the Well. Let's see if you can relate to this. Ananda, the attendant to the Buddha, having been sent by the Buddha on a mission, passed by a well near a village. And seeing Pakati, a young outcast woman, asked her for water to drink. Pakati, who was the lowest caste, the supposed untouchable caste, so low that they would, uh, it's said that uh, they, they would contaminate uh, a, a holy being. I mean, talk about, talk about caste, real caste system. Pakati replied and said, Oh monk, I am too humbly born to give you water to drink. Do not ask any service of me lest your holiness be contaminated, for I am of low caste. And Ananda replies, I ask not for caste, I simply ask for water. Meaning, I don't care what your caste is. Would you please Give me some water. And the woman's heart leaped joyfully, and she gave Ananda water to drink. Ananda thanked her and went away, but she followed him at a distance. Having heard that Ananda was a disciple of the Buddha, the Buddha went to the Blessed One and said, O oh Lord, help me and let me live in the place where your disciple Ananda dwells, so that I may see him and minister unto him, for I love Ananda. And the Buddha understood the emotions of her heart, and he said back to her, Pakati, your heart is full of love but you do not understand your own sentiments. It's not Ananda that you love, but his kindness. Accept then the kindness you've seen him practice towards you and practice that to others. Pakati, the Buddha continues, Though you are born a low caste, you will be a model for noblemen and noble women. 
swerve not from the path of kindness and righteousness, and you will outshine the royal glory of queens and kings. Isn't that beautiful? And that's what we can do. We can, we can fall in love with somebody's kindness, their goodness, and not realize that it's those qualities that have been awakened in us that have touched us so much that inspire us so. And we think that goodness is outside there. And certainly there are people who inspire us, but hopefully they inspire us to be more of ourselves because that's the way that it works. We awaken the love and the kindness and the goodness in each other. Just by your presence, your kindness, your goodness, your thoughtfulness, your caring is contagious. And you've probably been inspired by others as well, where you are ennobled by seeing noble acts, the uh, elevation response that Jonathan Haidt, the, um, the psychologist says, we become ennobled and inspired by seeing others do noble acts. It's contagious. <clears throat> of course, in miracles, uh, there's a line, this great body of Christian wisdom, there's a line that, uh, that I've loved for many years that says, believing in your littleness is arrogant because it's preferring your own opinion to God's. Believing in your littleness is arrogant because it's preferring your own opinion to God's. Who are you to doubt that you're good enough? Oh no, I'm not good enough. When you're an expression of life and life knows how to use you well if you don't get in the way. The way we get in the way is those small thoughts that say, oh no, I'm not good enough. Oh, uh, what do they think of me? Uh, oh, I can't help people. I can't give Ananda the water or I can't serve the, the person in the hospital. I see ego there. So that's, the, that's one side, not feeling good enough the other side is thinking, hey, look at me. And that's just the other side of identification with self. But the idea is that it's neither yours, it's both yours and not yours. I should say not neither, it's yours and not yours. A quote that I, I love from Martha Graham, the great choreographer to Agnes DeMille, another dancer. She says, there is a vitality, a life force, a quickening that is translated through you 
into action. And because there's only one of you in all time, this expression is unique. And if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and will be lost. The world will not have it. It is not your business to determine how good it is, nor how valuable, nor how it compares to other expressions. It is your business to keep it yours clearly and directly and to keep the channel open. You're keeping the channel open. And that's what spiritual practice is all about, to see the, the holiness within you. In Hinduism, there's the, um, the teaching when you find a guru and there can be a devotional relationship to that guru, but ultimately it's seeing God guru and self are one they're all the same and so you look at you are devoted to the guru until you finally merge with the guru and you see oh it's me all along that's when the real transmission happens <clears throat> and that's the same in tibetan where you have guru yoga you take your teacher as the embodiment of the buddha and little by little, if it's a good teacher, uh, the transmission happens where you see, oh, it's just me. It's what I see in him. I'm so moved by it because there's something in me that tunes to that same wavelength. <clears throat> in Theravadan teachings, there's the notion of Kalyanamita, that is a spiritual friend where the teacher isn't the guru, but just a friend who knows this path and has some familiarity with it and wants to help the student along until they see the same thing that the teacher sees, Kalyanamita. <clears throat> so this is our practice, both in ourselves in finding the Buddha within, and then also in helping, helping others awaken to it, which is a, a main practice that I've had for many years. And that is um, seeing the Buddha in everyone. When I speak to people on retreat, they might come in with all kinds of stuff going on in their mind and having a meltdown or having a having a, a really hard time and they can't see who they are but i'm speaking to the buddha right inside of them and the amazing thing is the more you look for it the more you can you can bring it out you can bring it out in another just by looking for it and them believing or sensing that you are seeing something worthy in there. And so this is a practice that you might try to see the Buddha in yourself and in everyone around you. And then it becomes 
love finding itself, wisdom finding itself, and it awakens itself through us. This is a Mayor Baba quote that I, I love. He says, love has to spring spontaneously from within. It is in no way amenable to any form of inner or outer force. Love and coercion can never go together. But while love cannot be forced upon anyone, it can be awakened through love itself. Love is essentially self-communicative. Those who do not have it catch it from those who have it. True love is unconquerable and irresistible. It goes on gathering power and spreading itself until eventually it transforms everyone it touches. Love is essentially self-communicative. Those who do not have it catch it from those who have it. Or one could say those who do not are not in touch with it have it awakened through love itself by somebody else seeing that their own goodness is in there. So I'd like you to, um, I'd like to do a practice now. Uh, however, this does take having your camera on. So only those who have their camera on can, um, can do this. Um, so I invite you just for a little while, put your camera on. And what I want you to do, this is a practice that I often give to, uh, to people uh, at home that I call a mirror practice. But in, uh, in these Zoom days, we can do it very simply uh, with Zoom. And what I want you to do is go to your cell, which is uh, the rectangle that you're in. And in the upper right-hand corner of your cell, there are three dots. And if you would hit those three dots and go down to where it says pin and hit that pin. And lo and behold, you'll see yourself. Fill the screen with maybe some side pictures along the side. And I'm doing this too. And I'd like you to look at who it is you see. Notice whatever comes up. You might have some judgments. I know I did for many, many years, just kind of wincing when I looked in the mirror. Oh gosh, until I over-practice over time and in practice, uh, that shifted. But whatever comes up is absolutely fine. And I want you to look a little bit deeper than the initial response. And uh, I'd like you to smile at who you see. I guarantee you're going to get a smile back. Just smile so you can maybe get in touch a little bit with that loving, warm energy. 
and then see if it's possible to see the Buddha in there. And when I say that, I'm not looking for you to uh, completely go ecstatic and go head over heels and think, oh my goodness, this is an amazing human being. All I'm inviting you to do is see the person that your friends see. See that goodness inside. See the person who would want to come on a Thursday evening and share the Dharma with a bunch of other people. See the wholesomeness along with whatever other things you see. Take a look and see the Buddha right inside. And wish yourself well. If things come up and get in the way, and you have all kinds of thoughts, it's just old habits. That's okay. It's just useful information to realize, oh, things get in the way, thoughts get in the way. If you're listening to this uh, on a, a recording, then I invite you to uh, go to a mirror as you're listening to it and say hi to yourself. And know that the more you can see your true nature, the more everybody benefits from it. And so now I'd like you to just practice that phrase, I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Buddha that is right inside of this being that I'm looking at. I honor the divinity within that somehow life has come to express itself in this form right here. Don't believe in your littleness. That's arrogant. Don't prefer your own opinion to God's or to the Dharma or to life. and appreciate who's staring back at you. With a classic metta meditation, you identify or you get in touch with all the beautiful qualities inside. Maybe see, oh, is there some kindness there? Is there some compassion? Maybe some playfulness? 
maybe some love of the truth. Who do you see? And wish this person well. Even if it doesn't come naturally, wish them well, just like you'd wish anyone else well. Oh, may you be well. May you see all the goodness inside of you and, and share your love well. And practice starting to see yourself as your friends see you, as those who love you see you. Don't play small, we need you. I take refuge in my Buddha nature. And then maybe a little promise to do the best you can to keep on seeing it and sharing all the gifts you've been given out of gratitude and generosity. Okay, now if you'd like, you can remove your pin. You go to the upper left-hand corner where it says remove pin, and you'll come back to gallery view. So we have, we have some time. Um, if there's any questions that came up from that, or any comments, any observations, uh, you can Raise your hand, go to the reactions box on the bottom, or go in, if it's an old version of Zoom, the participants box, and you go to the reactions box and just hit that raise hand, and uh, then I can, I can call on you. And I'll unmute you. We were Zoom bombed a few weeks ago, so I'm, I have, uh, I'm, I'm playing it a little bit cautious right now. So um, then I'll unmute you. Anybody have anything you want to say? Don't be shy. Yeah, Wendy. Hi. Uh, so the, now you can unmute, I think. Okay. Hi. Hi, James. Hi. Thank you for the teaching. Um, I think that you mentioned at the beginning that this isn't the sort of usual interpretation of uh, the Buddha and when people say Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. Uh, so I'm kind of wondering, I, I still don't quite understand what is the other <laughs> um, interpretation when people say Buddha? There, There is, uh, you know, both there's the outer and the inner 
dimension of both of all three refuges, like the refuge in the in the Buddha can refer to the historical figure. But as Meninjaji said, he solved his problem. You need to solve yours. The deeper taking refuge in the Buddha is what the Buddha was pointing to when he saw Vakali. He says, see, see within. And the same way refuge in the Dharma can refer to the body of teachings, the Buddha Dharma. And it can also refer to the way things are, the natural way of things right now, taking refuge in life, what life is giving you. And taking refuge in the Sangha uh, can refer to the historical, uh, both the monastic Sangha and those who've become enlightened. And it can also these days refer to the community of practitioners that um, of like-minded friends. Okay, thank you. Anyone else? The reactions box, raise hand. Going once. Going twice. Uh, Oh, I see. Raising hand that way. Oh, okay. Uh, James, I see you raised your hand. Hold on a second. I'll, uh, I'll wait. I'll ask to unmute. There you go. Excuse me. There you go. Oh, uh, hey. Good to see you back again. Uh, I really like looking deeper into refuge. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can kind of be like... Uh, I, I, I pledge allegiance or uh, the Boy Scouts or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. We talk about that refuge. I, I was something that I come into from uh, Jakusha Huang. And uh -huh. he was saying that uh, to be awakened is simply intimate, to be intimate with everything. Mm -hmm. With all big mind is to be in, in, intimate. Yes. And so uh, it's working my, my aphasia. But uh, so this really kind of connected with me with this, this teaching today mm -hmm. because uh, I taking refuge is not just, you know, my, uh, my pledge uh, to the Dharma, but uh, I vow to live it in intimacy with all things and in, in all ways as uh, the uh, Dharma in all the three aspects uh, with anim animals to life, to all human beings, mm. uh, to big mind itself. Mm. This is the intimacy that I, I want and I vow to pledge. So this really, really kind of hit me deeply. Oh. So, you know, I appreciate this, this teaching. Uh, there's just, I think with uh, Western, you know, while dealing with Buddhism, with, with English language itself, mm -hmm. it, it kind of thin. 
mm-hmm. not like uh, Pali or Cherokee mm-hmm. or Hebrew. You know, you, that always goes deep. And mm-hmm. so we always need to look, well, what are, we, what are these terms that we're saying? Uh, refuge, refuge, what is it? What are we called to do? What is the refuge? So that, that's what this meant a lot to me today. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad. Yeah. And it starts with yourself. As the Buddha said, you could look the whole world over and not see uh, anyone more worthy of love and kindness than yourself. So it starts with yourself and then you become intimate with all things when you're not so wondering if I'm good enough, then it naturally flows from there. So the beautiful bit of Akash, Akashi, Akali, uh, with uh, Ananda at the well, it's uh-huh. a lot like when Jesus goes to the well to the mm-hmm. Samaritan woman. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. like there's a lot of that's an arch, archetypal story. Yeah, yeah. same thing. Yep. You are, that's, you know, that's seeing, seeing the, seeing the Christ within you. It's, it's not yeah. just out there. Yeah. Same thing. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, it's, it's almost time. It, it is time. Uh, but I, I think I was inspired. Uh, I just finished at Spirit Rock and we ended with a song and I, I thought we'd end with a song right now about this topic. Yeah, my guitar. And uh, it's a song I'd like you to help me out with. Okay. A song that I know you know. So uh, yeah, just make sure you're muted so that we're, uh, we're all, uh, that we're all just hearing one voice, but actually hear two voices, my voice and your voice at home, because I want to see your mouths moving, okay? And the song is um, This Little Light of Mine. Just let your light shine. That's the idea, okay? So sing it with me. Ready? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Come on, let me hear you singing. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. All around the world, all around the world, I'm gonna let it shine. All around the world, I'm gonna let it shine. All around the world, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Everywhere I go, to everywhere I go, I'm gonna let it shine. Everywhere I go, I'm gonna let it shine. Everywhere I go, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. This little light, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Come on, let your light shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. 
Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let your light shine. That's what you do when you take refuge in your Buddha nature. What else is there to do? So to end, may we all mm, share any goodness that we awaken tonight with everyone in our life. And may our coming here together be for the benefit of all beings everywhere. Uh, including this beautiful planet Earth. <laughs>